So as you can see, I've been raised up. <laughs> and this is not just because it's a mountainous country, and I'm on my Alp. Some <laughs> people said they could get more out of it if they could actually see somehow it helps the, the, the talking gives it another dimension so oh, happy to be elevated yeah. it's often seen as a sign of um, respect for the, the teaching is to lift the teacher up so not the person so much as the kind of sense of the, the, the teaching aspect is elevated uh, sign of uh, and that's a, you know elevation is a sign of respect in flat countries. <laughs> yeah. So, just uh, noticing from you know from t- now and then the questions coming about. Um, Things like not eating in the evening and um, getting up early in the morning and not wearing jewellery and all these kinds of details of conduct. Uh, and you can see they're all about not. <laughs> and uh, so this is in line with the principle of uh, what's called nekama. In, in Buddhism, renunciation is the way it's translated, and nikkama is the sense senses or the sensual, um, associated with the physical senses, you know, or the external based senses. There's a movement away from that, and how that's how we've kind of we've got ourselves woven into it, into. Um, you know, senses, particularly with things that actually really don't belong to us, <laughs> you know, food and so forth. Um, this is uh, an aspect of what's uh, called samasankapa, or right resolve, or right motivation, where you know where your attitudes, your intentions are coming from. Samasankapa, which is the second second step or second aspect of the Eightfold Path. The first is right view. Samaditi. Right view, just to touch into that, just remind us of that, is this recognition of the, uh, um, you know, the, the primary importance of what we might call the internal interior domain uh, so not so much in terms of sights sounds places things but in terms of you know one's conduct uh, so there are definitely there are skillful actions one can cultivate that lead to one's welfare and unskillful ones that don't mm. you know, and uh, there is that which is given that which is offered that which is sacrificed and that's that's one that's the opening lines of um this rubric, this thing on rights, right or right view, there is that which is given, that which is offered, that which is sacrificed, uh, and this is 
good, you know, so the sense of we both, you know, what does it mean? We're in a shared, we're in a shared experience with not just other people with all planetary life and also with people who come in the future, you know, and creatures who will come in the future. So, uh, anything that will support by basically letting go of some of ours so others can have it, other creatures can have it, there's room for everybody. Uh, that's good. Uh, offering means supporting, giving, you know, rather than not giving, <laughs> taking or, or, or hoarding or accruing or uh, not caring about uh, other creatures or what comes in the future. And we can say just this little element alone is really um, vital or life enhancing. Uh, just this little element alone. Because, of course, you know, we are now, we are the ancestors of those who will come in the future. And I think most of us have probably talked quite deeply on the fact that the future doesn't look very good <laughs> for the people who come after us. Because we've, you know, humanity by and large is uh, rather exploited and used up a lot of the planetary resources. So, Many creatures are now extinct. Many species, not just creatures, but extinct. Um, and and not many, will, many more will be. I think there's a million species who are on the verge of extinction. A million. And we're just one. So what did we, what did we let go of? Nothing. <laughs> what did we share? Very little. <laughs> we took it all. <laughs> you know? And every every piece of land, every meter of the sea, every ocean is human. Got it all. And then you, having done the study, dig into the ground and take what's under the earth. Take that too. Uh, it's heartbreaking because uh, what occurs is that the, the system normalizes when this is normal. So if people don't. Yeah, just normal. <laughs> Don't do anything. It's, it's, it's legal. It's normal. Yeah. And uh, but like it, like most other species, didn't get included in that that contract. <laughs> and even certain kinds of humans, you know, people of the land, people of tribal people, disappearing. You know, their lifestyles. Because all the resources, chop forest chopped down, uh, you know, Amazon disappearing, uh, Indonesia forests disappearing. So the people who live there in harmony with nature now can't live there anymore. So they, they, they're also extinct, dying out. Now not to go on this, it's just really heartbreaking. I don't want to, I'm sure you're aware of this sort of thing, but you know, like, okay, this is those three words, given, offered, sacrificed. <laughs> and you start running, running that particular theme as a training, not because one is deliberately, or it's just you don't even, we don't even notice it because it's normalized. Yeah. Uh, take more than we really, really, really need. So then we have to say, yeah, I've, I've got used to it. I'm used to it. So suddenly, wait, what? Then, because as the system gets accustomed to a, a standard that perhaps is 
um, you know, not sustainable in the long run. So we make an effort to lower our needs. And naturally, there's a little bit of a struggle with that psychologically and even physiologically. I feel a bit hungry or I feel a bit, you know, what's going on? I feel a bit uncomfortable. Yeah, you feel a bit uncomfortable, but you're not extinct. (laughs) You're not being eaten (laughs) like every other creature is. Okay, I'll, I'll bear it, you know, <laughs> because I want to participate in this kind of um, planetary life and also uh, train my mind to just, you know, and to seek uh, one's happiness and welfare and comfort from other places. You know, when mm. you know? I mean, really consider it deeply, we may think, oh, you know, we should we. I, Retreat, you know, making us think, okay, let's just put away a mobile phone, so to put away things that are not really, really needed to get through a day. Okay. Uh, so you retreat, you, you, you can think, oh, you can do it. And you start to get, see, not only can you do it, but maybe this is more time room for, for internal cultivation. It also trains the mind to to just turn itself towards other forms of, of welfare. And when we really you know look around you see everything, this paper, this clock, bell, everything has come from the earth in wood, you know, it's been mined, dug up, melted, you know, everything comes from the earth. And we didn't pay anything back for that. So let's do it lightly and uh, also recognize we have certain things, human resources, which are ours, which is we can cultivate virtue. Trees can't do that. (laughs) We can cultivate love. You know, sharks, very limited capacity for that. We can cultivate wisdom. Nothing has the capacity for wisdom like a human being. So why don't we be mass producers <laughs> of these things you know, for our welfare, because they, they do support, give you strength, give you resolve, give you well-being, clear the fog and the confusion out of your mind and body. And also for the well-being of other people, creatures in the here and now, and for those who will come after us. So this is turning, you know, turning the mind from its habits, from what what we thought what was normal. And it's not blaming anybody because that is that is presented as as the norm, but it's it's not a sustainable norm, really. So this is Samasankapa is beginning to consider that. Then one makes an effort to apply it. And, um, you know, this is a fairly 
Buddhism is a fairly wide doorway, so we'll just make an effort, any degree of effort in that in that respect. <laughs> yeah. So it's not it's not ascetic, it's not starve yourself to death. You know, Buddha tried that. <laughs> you, know, you know, this isn't it doesn't actually it's not supportive. You just just leak it a little bit more modest. You know? and, so, and so and this is one as the, the nekama aspect of um, right resolve. It's based upon considering wisely, being taken responsibility, and changing the default habits, settings, programs of the mind and heart. And the others, for clarity, avihingsaka, non-violence, which means not just guns and swords, but also non-violent speech, um, non-violent communication, no browbeating, no stabbing each other with verbal daggers, <laughs> no, no quarrelling, and even the unwholesome intentions arise. We just go, hey, "What's happening?" Okay, let's check that one out. It, it, whoever, whatever she or he has done, this is not appropriate. You know, and this is really important because we can think, "Oh, he's a bad guy, so kill him." <laughs> I mean, we don't, but that's kind of um, legal. <laughs> we call it punishment. You know, we call it justice. They're bad people, so bomb them. You know, they they belong to some country or the others so have bombed them. You know, people blown to pieces for just existing. You know, so because they're our enemies and so on, or he's a criminal. Uh, you know, so it's kind of taking taking violence as a norm, the right to defend ourselves <laughs> and so on as normal. You know, what, what kind of mentality gets encouraged to that? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is um, the sense of brutality. That edge, that mind, that kind of mind, a hard mind. And then we get the second one is um, koda, which means uh, cruelty. And cruelty is obviously a very strong word, torturing. And so, and so on. Why do people, how is it that people are capable of inflicting torture on other human beings and even on creatures? Um, you know, defenseless creatures. It means for that moment we, we see, we, we cut off our empathy. So we withdraw empathy, which is, is a natural feature of the heart, is, is empathy. So we close it down. Yeah. That's a pretty damaging thing to do <laughs> for oneself, well, and for and of course for others. Because once a human being has, has cut off empathy, it is really shocking what they can do. You know, you get creatures eaten alive. You know, 
and throw a lobster, a live lobster in a pot of boiling water. <laughs> you know, and that's normal. Nothing wrong with that. Intensive farming. Uh, creatures trapped in pens they can't even turn around in. You know, horns cut off, castrated, their little ones taken away from them because they just meet on legs. You know, this is, and this is all normal, normal culture, you know. <laughs> you know? And if a wolf eats a sheep, oh, a shark, shark, a wolf ate five sheep. Human beings just eat 10,000 sheep, no problem. <laughs> what else is a wolf going to eat? <laughs> Can't eat beans, can it? <laughs> but we can. And so this uh, maiming and torturing and cutting the ears and sticking rings through the noses and stuff like that that we do to creatures, they even really making anything out of it. So this cruelty that um, when the empathy is withdrawn, and of course to other humans, and this comes down to just even, though that's obviously a very strong physical case, but this way we can kind of seal ourselves off and you don't really matter. You, I don't, don't I never think about it. <laughs> you know, or whenever the mind goes into that, I'm not saying it's always like that, but whenever the mind tips into that sense of, well, it's just your problem. Uh, and what happens to the heart when we do that, even this kind of subtle um, experience that I expect most of us have, have had or do have from time to time. Just what happens to the heart when that happens? You know, I close myself. And uh, in that closure, myself, then I want, I'm going to do, I need this, I want that, and how am I, restless, and you know, it's really bad health, <laughs> bad mental health, to to uh, cut off the heart. So you're left with this thinking mind just buzzing round, trying to find something to occupy itself with. So you switch something on, or look at a movie, or where's it going? But if we do a uh, treasure these uh, qualities of gentleness and, uh, and empathy, and if you're a little, you know, a little bit, bit richer, and then I'm not interested in next Netflix. Don't need it. <laughs> you know, because the heart's become a happy place to live. I mean, these things, we don't really need them. And in a sense, it, it, then it kind of reorients the citta where it to a fruitful place, right? Somewhere more fruitful, where you can sow seeds in that field of the heart that will grow and give beautiful fruit for your own welfare and that of others. You know, if we need anything on this planet, we don't need iPhone 16 or 15. We need sharing. 
and goodwill. Priority. So then you, you say, once you turn that way, you really see why is it and how is it that, that human beings get so off track, lose track with their 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 true beauty, because of, they get stuck in senses, sensuality, in nice things to see, nice things to touch, nice things to taste, uh, you know, nice frequencies and so forth uh, and then kind of go out to that and then of course it, it never stops does it you know and perfumes and you need it you really need it you're being told that you need it mm. <laughs> you don't need it <laughs> we, we get used to it sometimes this whole thing about people I see this on you know, people don't feel confident without their makeup on. Huh? You know, well, I haven't had any makeup. <laughs> I don't think I've ever had any makeup. I've, you know, I've, I've had lack of confidence, but my lipstick hasn't going to help me. <laughs> It's quite. Uh, I was noticing something in the newspaper uh, item. It said they, this uh, beauty contest. This woman won the beauty contest, and her principle was to not wear any makeup. Just go there with no lipstick, no powder, no mascara. Just go there, and she kind of won this thing, you know, which I think is, you know, it's kind of worldly thing, but it's a nice, you know, step that she's. Saying, look, you can be a totally confident human being <laughs> without without any jewels. You don't need it. Right. Uh, so, so, so this feeling of lack of confidence, or you know, should be as nice. To, and then people are very, very worried about their body shape or their skin or something like hair. All the stuff that's going to basically change over the years, and, and you can't even see it. <laughs> You're doing it for somebody else. You can't even see it. <laughs> you got to look in a mirror to see it. <laughs> I mean, so how crazy is that? Because you think that will make other people like you, or? Well, if they like you because of your lipstick or your hair, how deep is that friendship going to be? <laughs> so, okay, I can appreciate not having, I can understand lack of confidence, but that isn't going to give you not the right kind of confidence. The confidence comes when you find your own center, you know, when you find your resolve, when you find your principles, when you find your body energy steady, and you, you know, I've got no fear, I've got no worry, I've got no anxiety. Because the mind has been made strong, you know? and one of the ways that mind makes strong is through renunciation and resolve. You know? And it uh, because you, you know, something you begin to get sense for, and you realise the pull that we're in, and the social direction that we're in. 
you know, which we see, begin to recognize is actually dis- destructive, and you stand against it. And it gives you strength. And you, as you stand against it and you reap the fruits of your own resolve and skill and, you know, ethical sensitivity and so forth, you get nourished in that strength and the meditation then brings you into that place of strength and you meditate on that quality, on that resolute heart. That's your meditation theme. Ekagata, one-pointed. You've resolved this chitta is the theme. So, mindfulness of breathing is a theme, yeah, but these are kind of tools towards the main theme. The main theme is strengthening and freeing the heart. And one thing to be freed from is these unwholesome influences, greed, passion, aversion, delusion, distraction, which cause all kinds of chaos and damage. So you resolve it, and then you keep resolving because the mind slides, and it complains, and it agitates, and it resists, and it's got to be trained. So you train it, train it. So this is the kind of thing that we cultivate as just a, uh, you know, a, a standard that begins to transfer what you may have started with, which is a bit of calming your mind with meditation and you've still got the, the paradox or the confusion of how does this relate to going to work and all that stuff how does that work out and you're trying to wait a minute how do those two things meet I can't go super slow when I'm you know in the office I can't focus on my breathing when I'm you know selling whatever I'm selling but I can focus on right resolve <laughs> And right attitude, and and, uh, and I can resolve on and on contemplating, steadying the heart from unskillful qualities, and relinquish what might possibly delude it, take it out, what might possibly lead it astray, and just back off. No thanks, you know. And then boom, you come back to and you've got something then you you know, you've got something you can feel pleased with and confident and dignified with. And that's quite a treasure. So how much time we get to sort of sit down and do what we call meditation is of course in daily life it's it's um it has to be conditioned by what other responsibilities one has. Uh, but if your heart's in that good resolve place, you've got a lot more power to resolve to meditate. <laughs> As we know, our, our resolve gets weakened by, oh, do another this, got to do that, and maybe this, and feeling a bit tired, and so and so, social. Yes, mind's all kind of fuzzy. And if you get that resolve, then you've got something that you can listen to and it says, yeah, yeah, you need to sit down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> You're not in a good state. You better get that clear because tonight you might die. That's the 
kind of the framework in uh, certainly in, in um, you know in certainly in, in full-on Buddhist training as you remember every day can be your last so get yourself ready because you can't take any of this with you and it's not going to help you so then we when we uh, you know in standard Buddhist practice would be you look in texts of ancient India and they take the eight precepts on the moon days they had a lunar calendar you know that, that didn't have clocks uh, <laughs> you know, no, no real means of communication no telecom no newspaper so you know full moon tonight yeah yeah you know it's, it's up there in the sky the time that the clock's in the sky it says you know moon right so on those moon days either full moon or, or it's dark moon or it's no moon it's time to you know really focus deeply on these principles of right view and right resolve right attitude and meditate listen to Dhamma talk about Dhamma talk about things that go beyond the daily social uh, to-dos business lists and, and family business and so that's that then right so okay let's put aside all the social stuff the decorations the jewelry and whatever just put it aside and we'll refrain from you know um, even any any sexuality and also from entertainments beautification adornments and try to you know focus on that sense of we actually are in a, an emergency <laughs> and, and then it sharpens and it, or it clears the vision what happens if this is your last day what do you want to be with right uh, and then encouragement don't panic don't panic you've got a resource in here that's going to take you through that gateway of death which we will all come to as I said earlier the standard social life does not include the prospect of dying which is the most normal obvious thing to do everybody does but the standard life story is about you know money job partner children house so forth yeah well actually when you're looking at them you extend it yeah that is part of it but that's that's the really that's the really significant part <laughs> the rest of it's maybe you may get a partner you may have children you may have a job but you definitely will die so put that there and then what happens in the middle we'll look at that within that perspective so when you have death there you start to look at your life and you go, right, so what yeah that'd be nice but it doesn't really matter and, you know I've got to cultivate the internal because uh, that sense of say are you going to be born in the future will there be a rebirth well this is a kind of debate in some contemporary Buddhist circles is there such a thing the Buddha seemed to think there was as far as we can make out, it seemed to be one of his, his said it was his, one of his major realizations on his night of awakening, and one of his main aims was to get out of it. <laughs> yeah. 
But it wasn't a cultural belief because many other teachers didn't have any thought about future existence. And it, wasn't a, it wasn't a cultural belief at that time. And there are instances where the Buddha says, well, you know, because I've seen this myself, but if you haven't, okay. But actually what I'm teaching doesn't really matter whether there is or isn't, because right in the here and now it will make you feel better. And if there is a future life, it will pay off then. So either way you win. <laughs> yeah, because then you really take it like every day is like, sun comes up, birth, sun goes down, death. Like that, you know. You can take it more metaphorically, and what you what you take with you into the night. Mm. So at the end of the day, what you take with you is, oh, thank you, thank you, I forgive you, thank you, it's okay, be well, <laughs> right? That's a good thing to go out on. Uh, and then if you set your mind like that. Chances are, in the morning you wake up, you're going to have some of that's going to be there. You carry that through. Because that's your, your theme is your heart. So, certainly, my own experience, it's, it's, it was rather surprising. I lived a fairly standard hedonistic life of a young man in the 1960s, 70s, a fairly freewheeling time, and it wasn't working, no, surprise, surprise, and I was thinking of this idea, I need to get some, I just sense, you know, I wanted to kind of not be just in, in doing the normal thing, but looking at what was not the normal thing, I was in consciousness, and I was using psychedelic drugs and so forth to get into different place of consciousness, which certainly worked. <laughs> <laughs> but there wasn't a lot of actual, you know, ability to steer. Uh, you know, it was kind of just a haphazard, you just, whatever happens is what happens so there wasn't much guidance in it I thought I need, I need some uh, I think I'd read Ram Dass's book Ram Dass you know who, who'd been a psychologist and did a lot of this LSD with um, Timothy Leary and then he'd gone out to India and he'd met this guru and he thought this is better than LSD and this stuff this mystical experience better well I'll have some of that so <laughs> And if you ever read that book, Be Here Now, it's such a simple mantra. It's a very good mantra, Be Here Now. And that was his kind of teaching, one of his teaching guides was that. So I thought, okay. So, so I thought, okay, I'll do that. So I hitchhiked and did that in India. It was a very fortunate time because you could go all the way through Iran and Afghanistan and Pakistan. No problem. You know, really easy. You know, no, hardly needed, don't think you had a visa. Just turn up. Order, God looks at you and give him a few dollars or something, and you go. <laughs> and uh, so it's great. But then it didn't really find anything in India apart from getting really sick. Uh, and that really getting sick and seeing and seeing people dying 
you know, dead things or dying things on streets in India. Whoa, you don't see them in Bern, I'm sure. <laughs> but it's all out there. India's just, it's all there. You know, it's all, the whole thing is presented like there it is. You know, cultures and, and whoa. And you think, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's right. And then uh, I got really ill, very ill. And then that recognition, sickness, death. Mm-hmm. This is not just a fun trip. This is sickness, death. Oof, okay. And, uh, and then realizing all these people had some way of dealing with that. And it wasn't through medicine. But thank you very much, medicine. Thank you. But actually, because they had such a strong heart belief in the divine or spirit or something that kept them intact and seemed to get on with each other quite well. Uh, So, okay, but then I couldn't really get into it. But I did get that encouragement. This is about an internal cultivation. And when I went to Thailand, more or less accidentally, to get out of India, <laughs> then I uh, happened to see a meditation uh, being advertised in English, meditation class. I thought, oh, okay, I'll try some of this. Um, so I turned up the meditation class and somebody's sitting there and... and um, he was sitting right next to, he was an English monk, and he was sitting right next to an open window. Well, there was no glass in the window, it was a monastery, so they didn't have glass, just an open frame. And he had a little lamp, and he was giving this talk, talking about, I think, mindfulness of breathing, I think. And I was watching, and all the, as he was sitting there, these flying ants would come in through the open window, because they were attracted to the light. His ants would land on him, they crawl over him, and occasionally just very gently take one off and put it away. Then one crawl up his nose, very gently take it. And I was looking at, what is he doing? Now? <laughs> <laughs> and one would kind of crawl in his mouth, he was very gently, came by the wing and put it away. It didn't go, damn, dang thing, it slapped. Oh, oh. uh, what he was talking about, uh, you know, uh, something about focusing on your abdomen or something. But that was really impressive. <laughs> it, you know, his voice didn't even change. There was no, oh, it's just, you keep talking. That was, that was impressive teaching, that alone. And then he said, okay, now just sit quietly and then focus on your breathing. So I sit quietly and, wow. <laughs> no, I didn't get one breath. It's just all way, way in your mind, scattering thoughts. I don't think I got one breath. Wow. I didn't realize it was that bad. You know, it should be the simplest thing in the world is just to focus your attention on your breathing. You don't have to believe in anything. You don't have to worship Hanuman or anything. Uh, Or sacrifice yourself to a guru. You just focus on your breathing. I couldn't do that. Goodness me. Uh Uh-oh. But what I did notice immediately was I can watch my mind. My mind's like crazy, but I can watch it. Or something is witnessing or sensing that. What's that? How come if there's something, which am I? 
the watcher or the mind. So it's stable. Well, am I the watcher or I'm over the mind? I don't know. I think I should know, though. So I thought, if I do some more of this, so I said, is it possible to stay in the monastery? And he said, yeah, you can stay in the monastery. Um, you have to keep the eight precepts. Okay. I'll do that. <laughs> All free, you know. So I, a few days later, I went down to this other place, turned up in the monastery. They knew I was coming. He obviously mentioned it. So they didn't speak hardly. I don't think they spoke English, but they kind of, oh, a few words. They took me to this little hut, kuti. There you are. And that's it. You know? And uh, kuti was bare. Um, there was just a, an image, a Buddha image, and a little shelf, and uh, a, a bamboo, made a, a mat made of split bamboo. You know, so that. That's it. And there's a water kettle. Uh huh. <laughs> so that's it. Right, okay. So I, I've been used to travelling living pretty simply, so I just kind of lie down on this hardwood floor and try to get some rest. I think it was a little thing you could put onto your head, a cushion of some kind. And then they, they teach meditation. So that was it. So I. Um, they took me to see the abbot, and he had a little bit of English. And he, okay, you keep, you keep, okay, good, 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 very good, you go practice, you know, kind of thing. So they teach me how to f- try to do this thing, focusing on the breathing, which was essentially focusing on the abdomen, point of the abdomen. You know, try to do it. And I could actually find, like, after about a, few, a week, I could find I could sit still for 10 minutes, which I thought was really big. Actually sit still for 10 minutes. You know, really nearly on the verge of nirvana. <laughs> <laughs> so after about 10 days, I could actually do sit still for 10 minutes, then walk very slowly around my kuti for 10 minutes and sit still again and then walk around a bit. So I could do that, you know, an hour of this meditation thing and something kind of wanted to do it but my mind or what I thought was my mind just going all over the place you know but I just kept bringing it back bringing it back bringing it back uh, and there was no we weren't allowed to talk um, so no talking uh, one one thing about one meal would come along, one of these little boys would come along with a couple of cans of rice and some simple food, no choice obviously, and that's it. Uh, once a day the teacher would come down and check in, 15 minutes or so, how are you doing? And focus there, a bit more efforts needed, and that's it. And the rest of the day, you kind of, you know. <laughs> doing this thing and uh, for some reason <laughs> I realised that most of my mind was get me out of here you know <laughs> I wanted to ask, but every time it went someone would think yeah but you've already done that yeah I've already done it mm. and I could go through yeah but you've already been there yeah done it 
well, that was really great, yeah, but that was you already did that, you got fed up with it, yeah. So just kept coming back to that. And yeah, that was kind of fun, but then we had that unpleasant incident and we broke up, yeah. yeah. And just kept coming back to that, 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 that. You know, so here you are, here you are, here you are. And who knows, you know, why the heart has these sometimes irrational resolves or to, to do this thing. Uh, you know, it didn't make sense in, in terms of thinking, but I just didn't trust thinking. Because all my thinking was, get me out of here, go somewhere else, I could be, I should be, I'm not. None of it was be here now. So what I knew was, that's not going anywhere. This is where you are. Yeah, and somehow that very simple equation, I didn't even read Buddhism. They said you don't have to be Buddhist to be here. It doesn't matter. You don't have to be a Buddhist. You just be here. Just do this thing. Keep the eight precepts. Be happy. That stuff. It's very generous. It's it's all free. And when you want to go, you can go. You don't have to stay here forever. When you want to go, you go. That was pretty, that was a teaching in its own right also. That's that's generosity, isn't it? (laughs) Uh, But if you're here, then you've got to do the proper thing. So that's how it started. And then you begin to, gradually it takes time, time to build up these these hard qualities, um, resolution, and then you realise actually, yeah, you're doing this meditation thing, but that's a, that's a detail actually. It's a useful detail because it acts as a focal point to begin to review all the thoughts, the distractions, desires, fears, worries, grief, sorrow, loneliness, rage, frustration, all that. You know, if you've got that that one point there, is aiming. And you see all the things that are pulling it away, you know, and realize none of them serve you well. <laughs> none of the things that are going down the way are actually doing you any good. So, okay, I began to know what I didn't want, what wasn't going anywhere. I could, still couldn't meditate, well, you know, in any proficient way, but at least I knew what I didn't want, wasn't going anywhere, and that dropping away. And then over, over time, gradually, the mind did drop its wayward habits and it got quite resolved and concentrated. But um, it was kind of very tough because it was you know, based upon this kind of one-pointed focus and it kind of built in a certain tension and emotional um, estrangement because every time you felt anything, you're supposed to discard the feeling and go back to the point. You know, so you ended up kind of anaesthetizing the mind. Uh, so, because that's sort of, you don't want to get involved in any kind of feeling. So it's focused directly on the one point. Notice this phenomena rising and passing. This is pure insight. Um, yeah, okay. So I was doing that, but I got very emotionally estranged I could hardly speak so didn't we didn't do any talking so I was losing um, kind of verbalization we didn't do any chanting we didn't do anything 
Uh, I used to, one thing we did, were allowed to do was go on arms round. And that's another thing that people have asked about. What's this, you know, being offered things? Well, when you do this and you realize, you know, everything that comes into my body comes from somewhere else. I can't just, because that's, that's comes from something. You know, it's not free floating around in the air. It comes from something. And arms round reminds you of that because you can't take anything except what people give you. And you can't ask them. You can't ask them. And you can't take it. And whatever they offer, you accept it. And it's not like they're your friends. It's not nothing personal about it. It's just this is a good deed. And you receive it. And, and you do that. And you, you know, you kind of walk out in the morning when it's very early. Why do we get up early? Well, in tropics, it's the best time of day. Afternoon is just hell, <laughs> and uh, it means you 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 start fresh and you begin to adjust your time rhythms, your body rhythms begin to adjust to fit it. And then you go out early in the morning for arms round. People are just getting up. It's just about dawn, and all these people are just dragging themselves together. You know, and they come and put food in the bowl. And you know, you, as they come out, you look in there, you get a glimpse of the house. It's pretty, it's pretty poor. You know, it's not luxury, and uh, they're giving you food. But why? <laughs> and uh, the, the sense of that is just so overwhelming, in some respects that it inspires you to keep going. The generosity is so massive and there's no there's no transaction. It's like you give me this, I give you that. No. It's just I give you this, you receive it. And it's breathtaking. You know? And particularly some instances I remember there was we go through a little market and the woman, before everything got going, there's a woman who used to sleep on her market stool, you know, so you have a little kind of bench or something with a, she got her pots underneath it and she'd sleep on top of it. That's where she lived. <laughs> so as you go past in the morning, she was just getting up. She was getting off, she was kind of washing her face, like, oh, stop, stop. and she'd insist we stop so she could put some, she'd scrape out last night's dinner she got some rice there from last night. She scrape it around and give it to the monk. The first thing to do is start the day. Start the day with generosity. And she would not let you pass. <laughs> you couldn't you couldn't think, oh I'll go quietly not to wake up. She'd always catch you. Oh. <laughs> you know, and this old lady with very little and most important thing was to be able to do it one spoonful of rice and you get back from that you just think I'm just blown away <laughs> and uh, so I have to respect this this dana by being worthy of it you, know, you can't receive that kind of thing with it and just take it for granted and you've got to live up to it so it just keeps goes right into the heart again 
right now. So the heart's constantly getting a sense of this generosity of the community, take you in, give you shelter, give you, don't ask for anything apart from just morality, yeah, and then giving you food, can't even speak your language, and uh, take you in. And you say, how can you, how can you not give everything you can when they've given everything they can? How can you not give everything you ha- you can? What do you got? You've got no money. <laughs> what do you got? you just got your own heart. That's all you got. <laughs> so you give it. And you give it. And you give it. And every time you give it, it gets bigger. <laughs> That's the rule. Everything else, you give it, it gets less. <laughs> give it away. The less of it. With the heart, the more you give it, the bigger it gets. Right? And so that, it now, over time, you realize, then it becomes somewhere you can, you can live in. Because it's now big. And it's, it's lifted. It's lifted up by the goodwill and the, uh, pure intentions that uh, created the situation. This is how these things work. You know, so it's just, it's just, you know, if you ask me the logic of it, this is the logic. <laughs> it's heart logic. And you don't get a result in a day, but over time, the, the heart is turned and you really feel something beautiful, available. It's not me as a person. You get, you know, the Sangha. Let's look at it. The rightly practiced ones have all gone this way. They've all gone into the heart. The rightly practiced ones, men, women, whatever country, they've all, they've all gone into that. They've not all been monks or nuns, but they've all gone into that right view, right intention, right resolve, right action. They've all gone that way. So you can trust it. And then you say you go into it. And then, uh, Clearly, you know, as time passes, then because of the sense of empathy, the sense of empathy is there. How could it not be when people have been so sharing? And how could it not be? So naturally, whatever you have, you just want to share it with other people. So you just end up living it, trying to embody it, teaching it, or at least presenting it. You know, like the first teacher presenting it by not swatting a fly <laughs> that presents it <laughs> you, know, you may not have verbal skills but if you at least present present it somebody will see it and oh that's interesting and those who can see it will see it and oh, that's different and that person that's some quality there so we you know most of so we we cultivate so that the, the Dhamma is presented because that's what supports us. You know, this is why you know, the sense of not self. You know, it's not my Dhamma. <laughs> you know, you've inherited a teaching, inherited a training, you put it through this process, you, you bring it out again. It's a, it's a circle. You're living a circle. 
So mention this not because I'm trying to make some you know big claim or autobiography about how wonderful courageous I am because you know but it's it's it's, it's just a human being no Buddhist training no Buddhist background living an averagely reckless life and uh, you know so it's doable it's doable and when you cultivate in this situation I wouldn't be in Bjarnberg if I didn't respect it and here that path is respected anytime you come here there's going to be precepts and there's going to be some degree of renunciation it's not a monk's renunciation but certainly be a degree of switch off that, put that aside, don't do that, only this, you know. And so rather, well, that's what it's about. <laughs> you know, giving, you know, and sharing time, sharing space, and receiving the food that's offered. Because it's offered. And you don't have any. <laughs> and it's not a right. It's a privilege to have some food to eat. So, so we actually wake up to that and feel, wow, you know, and then I want to play my part in that. So look at these, consider these three bases, you know, non-harming, non-brutality, sensitivity, empathy, renunciation, turn away, relax the holding on to sense objects uh, and find your deepest welfare. And this is something we can reflect upon and consider and so that as you're doing Meditation, embodying those qualities, feeling them, and they give you a very upright mind. The ujjuchitta mind is upright, and it pulls away from these concerns when it has its strength. Then you breathe into it. You feel your breathing and your body meet that upright mind, and the upright mind means that meets those those energies in your body, and it becomes strength. Bala, strength, inner strength. And then, you know, the mind's doing this, and you just hold, restrain it, restrain it, turn it, turn it towards, if it's just the act of sitting, physical feeling, if it's just the act of mopping the floor, be with that. Uh, And... So it's not it's not just a technique, it's a whole field of cultivation. So let's take some time for your own um, quiet consideration and practice. I think you've had a good amount of uh, instructions on meditation practice. Now it's just that just what's needed is to use these days to keep
keep reminding yourself and dwelling in and letting these things grow and give them time to grow and use the atmosphere that's been provided you know while it lasts <laughs> to you know to create the atmosphere and the situation to grow and to let other things wane and die out you won't regret it